0: Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Chris Jennings.
2: Today I've got a friend of the show, friend of Ducks Unlimited. We've got Mike Stewart, the owner and operator of Wild Rose Kennels. Mike, how are you?
1: Good afternoon, Chris. I'm great.
2: Now, where are you at these days? Uh, You're out west, aren't you? Right now, I'm
1: sitting at 9,000 feet in the Rocky Mountains. Beautiful, cool weather in the morning, uh, beautiful trout stream running right through the training property, so pretty well have it
2: made that's awesome that's a big change from the 200 feet of elevation there in oxford i'd imagine
1: well those guys are still going at it we you know we have three locations across the country right now Oxford, like mississippi our largest facility uh they're running early in the morning and they up they're done by two o'clock in the afternoon so we've got we run to a really early morning shift Texas, uh, a place in Dallas, they even start earlier. They're running running out at 4 and 5 o'clock in the morning, and they're there through by lunch. But now Hillsborough, North Carolina, our third location, it's, it has a bit more elevation. We're north of Raleigh, and they get a nice mountain breeze up there. So they're still on the standard operating times of 8 to 4, 7 to 4. So they're doing pretty well right now. But, you know, we'll change those times, um, weather Weather conditioning changes all that
2: you know and that's why i wanted to get you on the phone here because that that really leads into um the conversation that i've had with other people and even other trainers and yourself many times but we're talking about summer training and i know i've got an old dog she's going to be 11 this year um she's she's a big girl i'm not saying she's overweight but she's a big girl Um, But she doesn't handle the heat, especially as well as she used to. But really, you know, the heat is tough on these dogs. Can you kind of explain some of the things that you're doing and even at different locations, because I think it gives our listeners a pretty good perspective, um, different locations, things that you're doing um, to keep these dogs active and but also safe as far as avoiding heat stroke and and avoiding, you know, hurting their paws on concrete, things like that. So, So what are you guys doing?
1: Well, I think it's a great subject. It's a perfect time of the year because people sometimes are just not aware of what heat does to many of these water dogs. You know, that's that's what we're really talking about with a lot of the sporting dogs. And they're bred to run in cooler weather, whether you're talking about porters, spaniels, labs. And then when you hit these hotter, high humidity days, that really, really whacks them. So, you know, the first thing you've got to look at is the body conditioning. You mentioned that the age of your dog and the weight of your dog, if the dog is overweight, the dog is older, you've got to be really, really careful. So first thing we're going to do is we're going to start dropping that weight really slowly, uh, about a half a cup a day until we drop that weight down. And then we're going to do a lot of Uh, Trying to get the dog more in physical conditioning and weather acclimated. You know, a lot of the dogs live inside under the air conditioning. That's what Deke, he's becoming like a semi retired kind of (laughs) guy. He's laying under the air conditioning all day long. He gets out, looks out, and says, You just hot. Let's go back inside. (laughs) You know, so we got to get our dogs weather acclimated. So we need to keep our dogs outside some. And then the best thing to do for the physical conditioning, try to build up the strength and endurance, is water work, keeping them cool. You know, put that. Uh, get them in the water, swimming. Lots and lots and lots of swimming. The thing you got to think about also is hydration. Um, we we think about the food. Uh, we we all the dogs out in Colorado right now, and in Texas and other places that are very hot. Uh, we hydrate them and with the food. We feed them. Uh, we feed them once a day in the afternoons after work. After working. Uh, some people still keep their dogs on twice a day. And I really don't like that because think about it for a second. You just ate. You remember know, in the old days, mama wouldn't let you go swimming for 30 minutes. Well, next thing we know we've got, we've got kibble inside the dog's stomach and gut and his body's trying to digest it. And the digestion process creates heat itself. Uh, You know, that helps keep the dog warm in the winter, but it's really detrimental in the summer and your dogs out there running and exercising, that's really detrimental to the dog. So we put our dogs on afternoon feeding, well after exercise, we float that food. I don't mean just fill the whole pan full of it, but take the water, cool water up to the top of your kibble and let them lap that up. They'll drink it right up because the grease and the oil on the outside of the food sort of makes a gravy. And that helps hydrate your dog. The dogs just simply don't drink enough water.
2: Man, that's a really good point. I've, I For as much as I've talked with you about all of these different training aspects and, and even nutrition, I don't think I've ever heard you mention that you fill up the dog's bowl with water and food um, as a source of hydration during these hot times. That's a That's a really good... Good tip for people, and I may start doing that with my dog.
1: Just stay away from morning feedings if you're going to exercise the dog. Do it late in the afternoon, after all the exercise, and then it's going to take them about twelve to sixteen hours to digest that food. I've seen dogs actually regurgitate in the morning, and they'll have solid kibble still in there. So you think your dog's running around with this kibble trying to digest it out in the field, and you're trying to keep the dog cool. So they just you know, keep the dog in the water. Get weather acclimated and hydrate the food. That's just some simple things. And then I want your your listeners to be very aware of what heat stroke looks like. We need to talk about that before we get off.
2: Oh no, absolutely. And and one thing before we get onto that, and this is can, can definitely lead into it. Um, you know, I've talked about even doing doing water work. You know, where your dogs out there swimming, especially down here in the south where I am, and and in Oxford, you know, where your uh, other main facility is, the the water temperature is not cool enough to really cool them down so people still have to pay attention for heat related issues in their retrievers even though the dog's swimming am i am i correct in saying that
1: absolutely and I, old country boys always know about that because you jump in the, you're fishing and you get really hot and you jump in the lake and you feel the thermal line it's it's about waist deep it's really warm and then below waist is really cool well, your dog is up at that high part of the top part of the water, which is uh, above the thermal line. So it's just hot water. He's just swimming in hot water. So you think he's cooling down. Now, in Colorado, I'm running in some really cool water out here. This is all uh, runoff right water coming off the mountains. I'm still looking at snow on the top of the mountain. So it's really, really cool. That's an advantage. But if you've got shallow water you're trying to swim in and train in, then you're not getting a lot uh, of. The cooling down of the dog, but you're getting hydration. I mean, um, uh, evaporation, excuse me, but uh, you're getting evaporation, which is about 5% of the cooling. So a dog cools by panning about eighty ninety percent 90%. Uh, uh, 5% or so is evaporation. The dog is wet and the water is evaporating. And the third place they cool is about 5% goes through their pads. And you mentioned that on hot surfaces,
3: mm-hmm.
1: asphalt, concrete or hard Uh, really hard dirt, like plowed ground, it's very hot. And the ground is hot out there, so he's losing 5% of his cooling right there. And then guess what? You're losing a massive amount of cooling because you won't even carry bumpers around in his mouth. Yeah, He can't pant, and uh, that's that's their main cooling sources. So the the, uh, evaporation does help, even though it's warm water.
2: As people are out there and they're working their dogs this summer, even if it's early in the morning, um, and and one thing that you've always stressed is kind of keep these sh- training sessions short anyway when it's that hot. But what are what are some of the early symptoms of heat stroke, um, any kind of heat related illness that y- you should you're advising your trainers or anyone out there, our listeners, to keep an eye out for in their dog?
1: Well, uh, the first thing you'll notice is a rasp, a real raspy looking breath uh, breathing instead of a deep and shallow. It's really shallow. It's real raspy looking uh, to to watch uh, their chest and watch the way they're panning. The second thing you look for is the curl of the end of their tongue. The tongue will run out more and then curl up at the end. Many many times they're really frothy at the mouth, uh, foaming at the mouth. The eyes will look glazed and sometimes a little bit darty side to side, and they'll have a staggered walk. Now, I've seen some handlers not recognize that and think the dog's just being disobedient, but he won't listen to you a lot of times anymore. And all of a sudden, they fly, and you want to correct the dog, and you've got to say, whoa, you need to read the dog and see what he's doing. Uh, sometimes the mouth will go dry after, and then he's really getting getting his body temperature up is when his mouth starts, he's still rasping, still Panning, but the mouth is not frothy anymore. Then you're getting really closer to the danger zone. So what you want to do is slowly cool the dog down. Don't throw a cooler on him, ice water. You put him into shock. You want to, if you have ice water and that's all you've got, sort you of dig a little hole in the ground in leaves, Pour the water in it and roll the dog in it. Uh, cool the belly down. I've used cool cool water enemas. Uh, I take it a syringe if you got it in your vet kit and put some cool water up the rectum. Uh, you can wade him out in the lake. For evidence, get him into water as much as you can. You want to offer him water, but most of the time they won't drink. So sometimes you just have to pour the water into their mouth. Be careful not to fill their lungs, of course. But try to wet that mouth as much as possible with straight water. Don't try to give them any Coca Cola or anything with sugars or anything like that in them. Stick with the water and try to cool that body temperature down as as fast as possible. Another mistake um, outdoorsmen make is they'll put the dog in the crate. And all that is going to do is just build that body temperature. You know, dog dog's running at about 104 temperature anyway. When he gets to this level, he's at 106, or 108, and he's going into stroke. When he goes into stroke, it's really hard to revive him. And once they go into stroke, they tend to collect them. I always talk about collecting. Once a, a, I've seen dogs heat stroke, they tend to do it over and over again. They're very prone to it once they've done it. So we've got to be really careful about watching for uh, the heat stroke.
2: Yeah, no, and that's that's a that's a good good point about throwing them in the kennels like that, where you know people assume that it's shaded. You know, we'll, we'll get them in the kennel, things like that. But maybe it's a good idea just you know let the dog um, lay out in the shade a little for a little while before you know taking the trip home or whatever. You know, you're really taking your time. And these are these are some important things for our listeners and, and people who who are out there training um, to remember because you don't you know you don't want to put your dog in jeopardy um, just because of the heat.
1: Take it, take wet towels, wrap them in wet towels, put them on the back seat of the truck, turn the air conditioner wide open, and head to the vet uh, fast as you can. Because what he's going to do is he's going to put them on uh, IV. He's going to flush that system, get, get hydration into the dog. But I've had incidences, or seen incidents, heard of incidences where they put them in the back of the truck and took them to the vet, where they were dead when they got there. Yeah,
2: that's. So you
1: you got you got to take that get that dog as cool as possible and just keep putting you know if you got him wrapped in some towels you can just keep wetting those towels and that's that's a good a good way to do it yeah i uh, take off your t-shirt you know pop off your shirt and your t-shirt wrap the dog in and that that whatever's around whatever cloth around that you can grab to put water on
3: you
0: and your dog are a team fuel is best in the field and in life with purina pro plan sport
2: Uh, Mike, you know, some other things as you're in the process of avoiding any heat-related injuries, um, there are some other kind of training aspects that you can focus on during the summer. Um, I know I've, I've spoken to you and we've even shot some videos about, you know, summer's a great time to add in some variations that they may expect to see during the season, you know, everything from dog blinds to stands to, you know, and you can do these in the shade. You can do these, you know, it's not a ton of of rigorous work. Um, So the summertime would be a good idea to introduce some of these. Can you kind of explain how, what are some of the best processes to introduce, let's say, a dog stand or, um, you know, even like a dog blind?
1: Yeah, we'll we'll walk through that because I hear people write me a, about pre-season tune-up. Well, I've never taken my dogs that need a tune-up because I never stopped stop training mm-hmm. them. It's just, it's a matter of, and you mentioned it earlier, duration and distances. Drop the duration, amount of time you're training. Do it more frequently, but drop the amount of time and drop those long distances. You don't have to do 300-yard that are going to take 10 handles to do. That's the time to work on those. There's some things that you can work on. Uh, first thing, think cool and moist. What that means primarily in the south morning. You're going to have a lot of dew... And that's really good on the ground, and not so great for thinning, but it's going to really keep the dog cool. He's running and damp. Um, and then the cool time in the morning. And then alternate between land and water. If you've got a water source around, do one retrieve on land and one retrieve on water. Or combine them. Say that you're doing hand signals. I'll run the dog parallel to the water, stop, cast him into the water on the first one, and then run parallel to the water. alternating between land and water. So you could incorporate your water. Uh, other things you can do is... Not incorporating water, as I like to find shady areas, like woodlands. Um, get in the woods. At least you've got the shade going on. And it's usually cool in the morning in the woodlands. And you're really practicing for flooded timber. I asked a group the other day, how do you train for flooded timber? What do you mean? Well, you don't have any flooded timber around, do you? No. So how do you teach a dog to handle in timber? Do it in woodlands. Yes. So it's great. it's, you know, it's a great time to, for your uh, practicing for flooded timber. Go out and set you some short memories out some circle memories, and some short things that they can do and handle in those big big timber, you're running your dog in cool, and you're getting them ready for uh, flooded timber le- later on.
2: Yeah, and, you know, even you can, when they're standing in the timber, you can even get them on, a, like, a tree stand or a stand that they would um, normally be hunting in, you know, in that timber come season time.
1: Take your duck blinds down there. Take your dog hides down there. Um, we've got an old boat sitting on the ground at Oxford in, in the timber right at the edge of the water, we work out of that a lot, you know, and we've got, actually we've got a tree stand there, a duck, uh, a duck boat sitting there with brushed out and a, a dog blind all within a stone throw of each other. And that's where we run them. And it's all up into, it's under timber. Uh, we've done a lot of videos, uh, production limited in that particular area, but some people can go back and look in your archives, which are excellently done, and see some of the things that we do up in the, in the cool parts. But, you know, you what you want to watch is being out in the open ground, a lot of heat, a lot of distances that are going to require a lot of exertion and build that body temperature. And then you do it again and again, and all of a sudden your dog is really not learning anymore. He's just trying to survive. So yeah. if you alternate between woodlands, uh, other things I like to work on is close in hunting. I'll take some cover and hide a bumper in it and tell him, hunt lost, you know, hunt dead. Practice those kinds of things, getting in and out of duck blinds. You can build a little blind at your house made out of pallets and work out of that. Uh, if you're gonna be hunting on lay down blinds and dog hides, um, early season goose in, uh, in Canada, if Canada will let, the, let us travel there this year, that was a big gift. but if you're going there, that's a great time to do it in the backyard, uh, in a shady area, get your, gut, uh, get your dog hide out, you lay down lines and put you some memories around in your yard, and just make some sharper trees.
2: Yeah, no, that's a that, that's a great idea and, and something that people should do. I know one thing that I always noticed um, when I visited your kennels there in Oxford, you always had full body decoys, like all over this little yard. And I was, I was like, why, you know, is he just, this is just decoration? Like what's it? He, he just, he misses his duck season more than I thought. But, uh, you know, it's actually part of the training process. And it's something that people can tie in during the summer as well is having your dogs maneuver through full body decoys. Uh, you yeah. know, I've, I've actually hunted with people who when the wind started blowing and those full body decoys start rattling a little bit, some of the dogs got a little, uh, little spooky. They were a, almost afraid of the decoys.
1: Well, and you can take your decoys and practice other kinds of things. Set your dog up on the water stand and walk around the yard and just throw your decoys. Now, what do you practice? Mm-hmm. Put out your decoys early in the morning. Have you ever seen dogs break so when you start throwing your decoys out and just start getting tangled up in the decoys? You can practice little simple things like that. They're going to pay dividend to the dog blind, you know. Just simple things you can do. It's too hot to do that. Get them out in the field. Do a little exercise like that in the backyard. Getting in and out of a dog hide. Well, I don't have a dog hide. All you got to do is take a, a travel crate brush it out a mm-hmm. little bit, put, put some brush on it. I think get them going in and out of that, set you out a couple of little memories, send them out of the dog hide, bring it back up, get back in the dog hide. Little things that you can practice off season that is going to add into your training in the fall, you incorporate it. You can do those now.
2: Absolutely. Now, now one question, we kind of talked about hydration and you hit a little bit on feeding. Um, what is What are some other kind of nutritional tips for people to look at during the summer you know as far as protein and you know what what are you doing with uh, your feedings at this time of year
1: well in the old days we believed we would switch the feed uh, the foods back and forth but perina has done some extensive research on that with athletic sporting dogs that's one reason i like the perina brand so well the pro plan brand because it's designed for sporting dogs so mm-hmm. they found that it takes anywhere from 12 to 16 weeks for the body metabolism to switch over to another food. So what they're recommending through their research is don't switch the food at the end of season and beginning of the season because by the time you switch it, it, you need to switch it back. So the body yeah. never really acclimates itself to indigestion uh, to using the food source. So what they recommend is just decrease the amount you're feeding and increase the amount you're feeding. So you. Hmm. So if you're feeding four cups during the season, and I uh, would start going to three-and-a-half, three, down to two-and-a-half to keep the body weight down, and then start going into the season, I'm going to start raising that back up again. So the dogs I got out to uh, Colorado, uh, they have not been run. They've been laying under the air conditioning in Alabama, North Carolina. They weren't acclimated to the heat at all. I come out here, i am 9,000 feet. And the air is really thin. I can tell it when I get here, and the dogs can tell it. So I'm running on thin air, and all of a sudden their body weight is dropping, and like, within a week like a rock. And I've gone up a half a cup every week since I've been here.
2: Okay, so you're feeding more. You're just, you know, the dogs are just working so much more, and, and they're actually burning through it.
1: And they're running on thin air in cool weather. So it's got to do with your where you are and and what your you know what your activity of your dog is. Just read that body weight. Versus trying to say, okay, I'm going to go to a different food uh, content. Like, a, let's say uh, you're running a 30-20, 30% protein, 20% fat. You know, you could drop to 26-16. A a That's okay, but it's going to take a while to process process it in, maybe 12 weeks. And the next thing you know, now we need to go back up to the hotter food to get into teal season and duck season and fuzzle season. Well, it's going to take another 12 weeks for them to to process the food accordingly, so it really doesn't work. So it's better just to drop the amount you're feeding and keep right on with the same food source of your protein and fat balances. And, of course, your omega acids are good for coat. Um, And then, again, I I stress feeding in the afternoon after you're finished uh, with your training and gives that time for them to the digestive system to turn that food source into energy. And that takes about 12 to 16 hours.
2: Wow. That's, that's impressive. I mean, just the, um, the amount of information there, I'm trying to even jot down what you're saying as, as you're saying it, um, you know, and then to throw in, you know, the digestion time at close to 16 hours. That's, that's something that I didn't really think about. And I'm sure a lot of people didn't either. Um, you know, just to get, you know, kind of, let's say we're getting out of the heat. It's too hot. Trainer doesn't feel like training today we're going to stay inside, maybe an air-conditioned you know, living room or maybe an air-conditioned garage. Uh, what are some of the small little tips and little training aspects that you can do in the house if we're going to stay in the A.C.?
1: Well, we're, I, I'm assuming we're talking about a trained dog that knows his skills. If you don't have a trained dog, let's say it's a pup, we can do whole conditioning. Uh, we can do a lot of things inside in a cool that's, really an advantage because it's harder to teach hold condition when the dog's panning. So let's, let's take an older dog. Uh, I I'm really big on place training. My dog's not even deep. He does not get free run of the house. He's got place. Now how many places he has, wherever, but our different locations. He has a place everywhere and he knows where it is. And he stays on it right now. I've got two dogs in here. I'm working a young pup and Deke. Both of them have place. And when it gets hot, I put them on place and they stay there. Then you can do some denials. You can do denials outside, and I strongly encourage people doing that in hot weather where the dog can't make many retrieves. A denial is simply you're throwing bumpers around, getting the dogs to watch those bumpers, and you're picking them up yourself. Or if you have two dogs or three dogs, each one gets a retrieve and the other's an honor. You can do a lot of that in the summer, but who says you can't do that in a house as well? If you've got a nice big basement area, you can toss some bumpers around, and he gets one out of five. Simple things like work on your hole conditioning. Put the dog on one side of the room, place the bumper in his mouth, and say here, and let him jump back up on his dog bed. You can take a water stand in the house. Set the water stand up in the middle of the living room. The wife's going to love this one, <laughs> and have them return and hop back up on that water stand. The dog hide. You know, put it at the end of the hallway and teach the dog to go in out of the dog hide, and you're sitting by them. But you want because think about it. Most people train their dogs standing up over them, but you're not going to be shooting that way in a pit Mm -hmm. or lay down blind. You're going to be sitting beside your dog right at ground level. So do some of that in the house. Get him to come in, and it's fun. I'll do this at workshops. I'll have everybody sit down by the dog. Well, guess where the dog ends up? In the lap. (laughs) So you want to get the dog acclimated to you sitting shoulder to shoulder to him and working your dog. You do that in the house. Sit on the floor, work your dog, have him come back deliver the hand, come back to heel, but not heel, but come back to sit by your uh, on, and shoulders and be quiet.
2: Oh, that's great. No, those, those are those are good ideas. Something that people can do, you know, if you've got 10, 15 minutes, even you can do these short little training sessions inside. Um, and really it's all, it all goes back to, you know, most of the the same fundamentals of, you know, waterfowl hunting, really. You know, you want to kind of recreate some of those similar scenarios just like you said, sitting next to the dog, um, you know, even honoring. You know, we see. I see a lot of that hunting. Uh, I don't. We don't really hunt with multiple dogs often, but we do on, on occasion. And there's very few dogs that I've seen who who honor well. And I think that's a that's a very good aspect of, of summertime training that, you, that people should really focus on.
1: If you got one more time for a tip, I will give you another one.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: Uh, I'm doing this one right not down. We're doing it really at our workshops. We'll line up all the dogs and call them out of line by name. Now, most of the time, I, I stress, don't call a dog off set. Always go back and get him so you don't create a creeper. Mm. You know, it creeps all the time. But I want to get the dogs acclimated to their name. So yesterday, I took all the dogs out. I lined them all up, six of them. And I call one by name, Deke, and I heel him around in a circle. And all have have to sit still. The next one I call by name. What I'm doing is getting them acclimated to only respond by their name.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So when a bird's are down and you got three dogs in a box, Duck blind, and you say back, all three are gone. Yeah, You've got three birds down, and you say deek, only deek moves. So yeah. You can practice a lot of this in this warm weather.
2: No, that's great, absolutely. Especially that's a that's an awesome tip for people who do hunt with multiple dogs.
1: Yeah, get your dog If you're working multiple dogs, get the dogs queuing on their name, not back, but they don't move unless they hear their name.
2: Perfect. Well, Mike, this has been great. This is uh, extremely informational. Um, educational for all of our listeners out there who are probably spending more time training their dogs this summer than they have in years past, hopefully. Um, and I'm sure the dogs are appreciating and I'm sure they'll appreciate it. Come hunting season, it'll probably pay off. But thanks a lot for joining me today.
1: Yeah, and I would I would invite all our listeners to not on your world's website, which is well done and wealth of information on dogs, on there and, and hunting dogs. But please check out UK Labs, that's com. Look under our video library. We have about 120 to 140 complimentary films on there. Uh, Some are done for Upland. Others are done for Waterfowl. Many are done by our friends at Ducks Unlimited. Uh, which they do an extraordinarily good job of. We have a, the Purina Pro Plan series on starting your pup. If you've gotten a new recent pup, it's 16 lessons. It's an Emmy Award win, winning feature. Please take a look at that and follow along and train the Wild Rose way.
2: Yeah, and you can find those that step by step kind of video instruction that you did with one of our great partners, Purina. Uh, you can find it on ducks.org, on YouTube, at Wild Rose Kennels YouTube, and also it's just on uklabs.com. So uh, lots of resources.
1: If you need the training manual, of course, we got Sporting Dog Retriever Training, the Wild Rose Way with the forward written by Ducks Unlimited. So we'd love for you to t- take a look at our training manual as well. And that gives you the instructions from the basics all the way up to upland waterfowl and uh, destination traveling with your dog. So thanks for having me.
2: First of all, I'd like to thank our guest, Mike Stewart from Wild Rose Kennels, for joining me and bringing us information on summer retriever training, summer conditioning, just some very... Good tips for people to start focusing on this summer. I'd like to thank our producer, Clay Baird, for doing a great job putting the podcast together. And I'd like to thank you, the listener, for joining us on the DU podcast and supporting wetlands conservation.